I've said to Jerry, no more public displays of affection, please. <laughs> tick, tick. Stuff 2020. Election. Podcast. No mai, harimai ki tick tick, Stuff's 2020 election podcast, Mote Rapare, Firinga a Nukuwaru, ko Adam Dudding Tene. Ko Eugene Bingham Tene. Tena koto kato. We bring in the news and some of the more unusual things about the election, and then we slow things down to focus on one particular kōrero. There are nine days until the election. So, Coming to you from Otatahi Christchurch, where the press leaders debate was on this week. In the middle of a hectic, never-ending campaign, it's just one stop. But it was a big deal, and all the heavy hitters were in town for it. And us. Yeah, and us. But look, where I was going with that was, in a fast-moving campaign, it's like there's never a moment to breathe before the next thing comes along. But today, we want to take a chance to do just that, to pause and to take a deep breath and sort of figure out what this all means, I suppose. That's quite philosophical there, Eugene. But you know what I mean, right? Yeah, it is hard enough to keep track of what's happened, let alone what it all means. In the past few days, for instance, there were a whole bunch of stories about apparent disunity within national allegations that Judith Collins was making up policy on the hoof and thus cutting out colleagues, which was making them unhappy. There was criticism of Jacinda Ardern over the way she delivered the Alert Level 1 announcement when she said Auckland could finally move down to Level 2. After giving the news, she then sat at the lectern to answer questions about a whole manner of party political matters. There was polling, which gave the Māori Party hope about clinching at least one electorate. And there were policy announcements and allegations about yet another fiscal hole, this one about Act's budget. I mean, seriously, is a budget even a budget nowadays if it doesn't have a fiscal hole? Anyway, I agree, Eugene. We need to take a deep breath and just put all that aside for the moment and instead sit down for a second to contemplate what we learned at the Press Leaders Debate. It actually feels a bit like you're in a footy changing rooms down here. Like you've got the cinder block walls and, you know, it's just a big long sort of a corridor and a bit of a coin toss on the stage. No smell of wind, though. That'd be great though, wouldn't it? It just smells like wintergreen when you come through. <laughs> That's Luke Melpass, Stuff's political editor. It's a little after 6pm on a Tuesday night and he's standing in a long, not especially glamorous tunnel somewhere in the back of the James Hay Theatre in the Christchurch Town Hall and a coin is about to be tossed. So if you win the coin toss, that entitles you to... You decide whether you want to go first or last. Right. So whoever starts the debate... Because, like most team sports, the press leader's debate starts with the flipping of a metal disc with the Queen's head on one side and something else on the other. In this case, a kotuku or white heron. You mean a $2 coin, Adam. All right, it's a $2 coin. And Luke's going to flip it. And whoever wins the toss chooses who will get to speak first in the debate. Jacinda Ardern and Judith Collins aren't actually here yet. They've sent their proxies instead. If this was a sports game, I guess you'd think of these two as sports doctors, but in politics you call them spin doctors. So we're with Collins's Deputy Press Secretary Michael Forbes and Ardern has sent her Chief Press Secretary Andrew Campbell and all eyes are on the coin in Luke's palm. Though Campbell isn't actually here yet which is just as well, because Luke has some concerns. Just check this coin. 
Legal tender. It is a it is legal tender. It's two dollar coin. Looks like it's got some weighted on one side. Finally, Campbell arrives. And the coin toss is about to go ahead. But now there seems to be some confusion about what the coin toss will actually mean. Toss the coin. Basically, you decide if you want to go first or you want to go last. So whoever starts off the debate doesn't finish it at the end. If that makes sense. You're looking. Oh right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Finally. Cool. Two dollar New Zealand coin. Who's calling? You're in the opposition. Why don't you guys? You're right with those rules. You're right. You're right with them. Yeah. You're ready. Okay. Go heads. Tails. Andrew Campbell. You're cool. Uh, we'll go second. You go second. Yeah. Very good. Hey, thanks so much, gents. But wait a minute. There's still some confusion. Going second to start. Yes. So that means we go second at the finish. No, it means you go first at the finish. Oh, okay. Right. right. Yeah. See what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So, gotcha. so, it'll be, so it'll be Judith Jacinda. Uh, and then Judith Jacinda. Right. <laughs> These are the people who are assisting the people who are running the country? Don't worry, Adam. You wouldn't know this, being sports-phobic and all, but bickering over the pre-match coin toss is all part of the game. It's like cricketers whispering insults to each other behind the stumps or boxers squaring off before a fight. All part of the gamesmanship. And the thing is... These leader debates really are a kind of game, aren't they? Hardly original, and yes, I know, there are some big problems with the metaphor. But all the same, when we went behind the scenes of Tuesday night's leader debate, the third of the selection season, we were kind of struck by all the parallels with the world of sport. And actually, though Luke was joking when he said he missed the smell of liniment, in fact, it wasn't missing. Stuff photographer Ian McGregor, whose camera shutter you could hear during the coin toss, revealed to us that, in fact... And I have got tiger balm on my calf, so there was liniment. Oh, you yeah. oh, was, yeah. Right. You brought the tiger? Yeah, yeah. I brought, brought tiger balm, yeah. Right. yeah. But even if there hadn't right. been a smelly, mentholated ointment on Ian McGregor's calf, the political debate as sport analogy still holds up quite well. There are two rival teams, each with their star player. They come together in a special place where there are referees and line judges and sometimes TV cameras. They engage in a kind of ritualised combat following a complicated set of rules that will sometimes be broken. And... From start to finish, the combatants are being watched by a crowd of fans, some of whom are there to cheer on their favourite team and some who are just there for the fights. Yeah, so with that in mind, we're going to tell the story of this debate in three sporty bits. The venue, the teams and the crowd. Here goes. Part one, the venue. Oh, let's skadoodle down here. It's uh, half past five, so we better get a rattle on. With yellow wristbands on and purple press passes on lanyards around our necks, we are Thank ready you. to roll. We're now going backstage. The corridor. It's, it's, you know, any minute I expect to turn the corner and see uh, Freddie Mercury, actually not Freddie Mercury, but some living pop star. Hey, well, you all could be uh, X Factor. We're backstage, oh. that's why it's got that backstage vibe. Yeah. I think right. we'd better be quiet. Okay. Hi. How are you guys going? Good. Good. We're just wandering through. Just wandering through. Yeah, checking things out. I feel we have We're to whisper. We're not exciting enough to be on your podcast. Okay? <laughs> not true. This is Vanessa Fleming, Stuff's events manager. Basically the person who's pulled this whole thing together. Standing in the dark, away from the lights of the stage, before a bank of screens and people wearing headphones and oh, all sorts of stuff. She and her colleague Todd are making sure the final arrangements are in place. Yeah. What a massive operation, though. It has been a very big operation. Look at all this set up over here. Yeah. It's like a million cameras. How many crew do we have in yeah. total? Uh, 25. Wow. And um, just two people at the centre of it all. Yeah, that's it. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Myself and Todd. <laughs> <laughs> we're actually going to go and raid yeah. Luke's food. We're, we're, yeah. Yeah, Ooh, nice. Have fun. <laughs> See what food he's got left. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Luke, of course, is Luke Melpas. He's one of the moderators tonight, along with the press editor, Kamala Heyman. 
Right now, they're in their dressing rooms backstage for a few last quiet moments. Until we arrive. Come in. He recognises the secret knot. Oh, he's tying his tie. This is action. Has he, has he eaten all the food? Oh, no. There's a bit of fruit left. Oh. Look, you got your special socks on there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my wife knitted this tie. She knitted the tie? She did. That's extraordinary. Yeah. Like, just especially for tonight? Yeah, she did. She finished it, she finished it last night. I, I noticed that it's green. Yeah, well, it, it, it can't be blue or red. <laughs> That's true. That's With true. just over an hour to go until the debate, everyone is really focused. You can feel the tension rising. Carla and I just about to have a last run through some of the questions and probably, you know, working out if we're going to add anything new in or... Um, you know, just double-check the news, make sure nothing else has sort of come up that we should hit tonight, but, I mean, in general, like... The Outside in the corridor, the coin toss corridor, the police diplomatic protection squad, the guys with the curly earpieces, are on standby because Labour leader Jacinda Ardern is about to arrive. Also on standby is staff photographer Ian McGregor. Yeah, they said two minutes about five minutes ago, so we'll see what happens. I guess when uh, you're in her job, you can make your own times, I yeah. suppose, can't you? We wait, and we wait, but then... We have to get going. There's no time for waiting when the clock is ticking. Tick, tack. Precisely. Can we come in? Yeah. Hi. Hi. Where does, where does your regular Hello. Hello. How are you? This is Carmela Heyman. Written actually on a little written scripts here. Like fifth section, 8.15 to 8.25. Cool. Ten minutes. Hopefully they are going to count us down. Are you recording this? Yeah. <laughs> of course we are. This is a podcast. We're dedicated professionals. But Kamala is cunning. She knows how to distract us from the task at hand. Please, sit down, eat yeah, some food. They came in looking out for my food. We did come in. Yeah. Already, yeah. already eaten it. Spinach ricotta quiche over here. We're actually not sure what this is. We'll eat it anyway. Eat it. Sit down. Yeah, you don't need to hear us scoffing the mini quiches. Or the chicken sandwiches. Yeah, you ate a couple of those. And that thing none of us could identify. Hey, man's got to eat. Back out the front, we spot the seasoned observers of this sport of politics. The political press gallery, perched up on a mezzanine floor. It's like a who's who of the daily COVID briefings, the 1pm ones. Yeah, from your, from your Tover O'Briens to, you know, uh, Joe Moyer from RNZ to um, yeah, Mikey Sherman, I think, was there from TVNZ. So it's like, um, it must be weird the, how they have to move around together. As compared to us untrammeled free as a bird podcasters. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Going through their final preparations at a desk littered with an empty packet of chips and a mostly eaten packet of mixed lollies are Stuff's political reporters Henry Cook and Thomas Coughlin. And boy, they have done their homework. We'd received uh, observations about the, the quality of food at other debates and were determined not to uh, make the same mistake. Yeah, so we, we did a quick whip around at um, Fresh Choice in Christchurch about half an hour ago and, uh, and actually had to fight with security to, to get the, the food into this debate um, because there is a, a licence to vent food here. <laughs> See, this is the kind of journalistic chops you need to bring to these games, Adam. What would make your night, Thomas? I'm looking for something very unscripted and something very authentic. Before every debate, I think most of the leaders spend about a day of actual preparation and then like weeks of sort of general preparation. And so you get, honestly, so many boring scripted lines. I think that the press debate has a reputation for something unscripted and off the cuff. And I'm hoping we get to see a lot of that tonight. Henry, what do you want to see tonight? If the leaders could actually ask each other questions and challenge each other on questions, that's when you get really good stuff. That's when you get John Key, show me the money kind of thing. That's right. Show me the money. It's one of the most well-known moments in New Zealand political debates. 
debates, and it was right here in Christchurch at the 2011 press debate. National leader John Key tripped up Labor's Phil Goff with a decisive line that had real cut through, exactly what the leaders will be looking for tonight. So it's time to head out the back again, making full use of those yellow wristbands to get up close to the action. We're now backstage. We can see the lectures. Do you call them lectures? I'd call them podia, but that's podia? just me. I'd call them podiums. All Carmela and Luke. Are you ready, Luke? No, oh, I think so. Luke's ready. Carmela's ready. We're ready. But what about the two players in this whole event, Judith Collins and Jacinda Ardern? It's time to turn our attention to them. Part two: the teams. So, Adam, this is minutes before the debate's due to begin. We're backstage with Judith Collins just standing in front of us. She's looking, looking quite relaxed. I don't know. If you look closely, she's fidgeting with her, one of her fingers. What's that fourth finger called? Ring finger. Ring finger. Mm. Her, her right ring finger. So she's doing, going through a warm-up routine, though. She did do a small warm-up dance just mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. I'm much the same before I do any important pays, pays to be like that. Because, of course, before any performance, you need to be prepared. As Thomas Coughlin told us, these teams will have spent all day getting ready for this moment. But now it's down to the two star players, as it were. Judith Collins standing right there in front of us, and... I think I can see Jacinda Ardern across on the other side, or is that someone else? Yes, that's her. Yeah, that's her. Oh, she's got her notes. Mm. Famously, she's, she's a bit of a note user. Mm. I wonder how they're feeling, actually. It's a little bit like making a big entrance for the school musical, but maybe slightly more important. Yeah, well, you've got the nation about to watch you and potentially deciding their vote. Like all blacks waiting in the tunnel, the two of them in their high-heeled shoes rather than rugby boots, they have to listen to the pre-match entertainment, a montage of people's opinions and their own speeches. How weird would that be hearing yourself? Luckily, I don't listen to the TikTok podcast, so I've got no idea what that's like. Who does? <laughs> well, that's very dramatic music. Mm. Look at the heart going. On stage, Carmela Heyman goes through the rules. Your answers will be watched closely by Stuff's Whole Truth team. Any misleading statements will be identified and they will be corrected and they'll be published on Stuff within 48 hours. <laughs> Smiles from both the leaders there. Fact-checking gets a round of applause, I like that. And then, it's time. Judith Collins and Jacinda Ardern, welcome. Okay, so by now, most of you listening to this podcast will have heard all the analysis, all the who did what to whom, the blow-by-blow and the commentary, so we'll spare you all the detail. But these were a few of the impressions we gathered, ringside, as it were. Number one, you couldn't help but notice how the energy of the crowd really spurred things on. From the stage, it felt like the audience was right there, really in your face, banked up before you. And maybe that was what drew out Ardern's fighting spirit a bit more than we've seen in the two previous debates. She was certainly interrupting Collins a lot more, and there were lines she kept coming back to, bringing up those fact-checkers time and time again. It was as if she was saying, she's not telling the truth. And she also brought up Jerry Brownlee a fair few times too. Yeah, and that's our observation number two. All night it seemed like the player just waiting to come off the bench was Jerry Brownlee, Nationals deputy leader and the MP from the local electorate of Elam, who was a controversial figure in the earthquake rebuilds. But Judith Collins 
didn't shy away from that. In fact, she brought him up within minutes of getting on stage. And I'd also like to acknowledge Jerry Brownlee because I know he and the press have got such a close relationship. <laughs> and towards the end of the night, it was Brownlee who came up with what our colleague Andrea Vance thought was the best heckle of the night when Collins and Ardoon were asked the price of an edition of the weekday press. Too much. Too much, <laughs> Jerry Brownlee says. <laughs> Number three, there's no doubt that Judith Collins enjoys these debates. Not only does she say it repeatedly, but you can see it in her body language too. It's like she's waiting to pounce the whole time, a predator with eyes constantly on the prey. And that whole I'm having fun thing played out in a question about how to engage young people in politics. Best thing to do is show them we're having fun. If we're having fun in politics, they might want to actually get interested. I think that's really important. And you're having fun? I absolutely am. Every day. Every single day. Whereas Ardern spoke about engaging young people on the issues that she said mattered to them, like climate change. Yeah, sometimes it seemed like they didn't just have a different style of play. They were playing different sports. Thank you, Judith Collins. Thank you, Jacinda Ardern. What a fantastic debate. Really appreciate it. Um, and thank you to everyone who's uh, come here tonight at Utatahi Christchurch and to everyone who's watching. When the debate was finished and the crowd dispersed, another set piece of sport played out, the post-match captain interviews. We tucked ourselves in the back of the media pack, feeling like the kids who'd snuck into the back of class, and listened in. Again, we saw the different styles, Ardern sticking much more closely to the lines you've heard repeatedly across the campaign and quickly deflecting from questions about specific issues to the broader messages she's constantly plugging. Whereas Collins would happily engage in the cut and thrust, she seemed to really enjoy it, didn't she? She'd go off script and add colour or barbs. Not sure if you remember this from the debate, but there was a moment when Luke Malpass asked the leaders what they drove and Collins seemed to get tripped up by the question and took quite a while before saying that she drove a BMW. At the press conference afterwards, she was asked if she'd been avoiding the question. No, she said she just wasn't sure where it was coming from. And then, as if to make her point, she started going on and on about a classic car collection, an MGB and a J-type Jaguar or something. It's hardly ever that a stray, interesting detail like that will be let slip by the PM. Yeah, that difference in style and substance was something Kamala Heyman picked up on afterwards when we caught up with her. Yeah, I mean, Judith Collins has a really engaging manner. She's just got that repartee, doesn't she, the joke and the banter, but she's really careless with detail yeah. and reckless with promises. So it's quite easy if you actually don't have any... How much does she think she's really going to win? She can almost say what she likes for entertainment value, and you get that sense. And yeah. you sort of feel with Jacinda Ardern, she's got the weight of the government and the expectation and the fact that, you know, there's a very good chance to still be Prime Minister and have to own every word that she utters. As far as sporting contests go then, the winner was... Well, that's the thing. In a crowd of 750 people, you get 750 different interpretations of the result. So what about them? How about that crowd? Part three, the crowd. It's a kind of philosophical question, isn't it? If two politicians shout at each other and no one's there to hear it, do they make a sound? Slightly rubbish philosophical question because generally you can go and check on YouTube and yep, they do make a sound. But the point I'm trying to make, however ineptly, is that debate audiences like stadium crowds are really important. The first Ardern Collins debate was in Level 2 Auckland with no studio audience. The second had a studio audience, but they were still sort of diluted by the COVID social distancing. But the press debates, famously, are town hall style with a huge audience of real people as well as the folks watching the live stream back home. So 
We had some questions for the Cantabrians who turned out on a pretty chilly Tuesday evening for a bit of participative democracy. Questions like, why are you here? What do you hope to see on stage tonight? And are you protesting or are you singing or are you both? We are inciting change faster right. in response to the climate crisis. That's a pretty cool way to protest, huh? Though actually, when we talked to the Singing For Our Lives Choir, they were around the back entrance doing a last-minute rehearsal. They were just about to head around to the front door to serenade and or provoke the audiences they queued up to come in. And once those queuers were in the door, we asked them why they were there. I like a good debate. Who are you going to vote for? I'm not going to tell you, but yeah. I think Jacinda's done a good job, though. And I'm a socialist. (laughs) My acute political radar tells me that I think I know how this particular audience member is going to be voting. OK, uh, we've got to find someone who's not going to vote, who wants to be with Judith. OK. Excuse me, do you have about 30 seconds to spare? Oh, we just want to hear what, um, hear what people have to say for themselves and make our own minds up when we can see it in the flesh. Yeah. Uh, my mind's not totally made up. I think this is going to help to um, possibly convince or cement some of the thoughts that I have. So this, this is the difference of this one is, of course, you're here in person. Yes. You see the TV debates. What is, what's the difference? What do you I think, expect? I think I can, you, you can get a sense for the personality and you can see and see and feel a little bit more of the emotion and also see and feel the emotion of the crowd and how they respond to what they're saying in a, in a group environment. And very last thing, which way are you likely to vote, do you think? Blue. One super fan, member of the team really, was Christchurch Central's Labour MP, Dr Duncan Webb. He was hanging out with Ardern's advisors before the show. Welcome to my electorate. Oh, thank you. Welcome to the beer pit. I have an important question. You're wearing a red swan dry. You're wearing a red tie. Are you wearing red socks? Oh, no, I'm not. Damn. It's the details that count. Yeah, hang on. And then the voice of God summoned everyone into the theatre and the show began. We sort of just covered the debate itself, so we're going to jump straight to the intermission when we requested some half-time appraisals from the fans. Sorry audience. I think it's absolutely exciting. I haven't made up my mind yet who I'm going to vote for, but I think Jacinda's probably got the edge tonight. I think Judith's a little bit too negative. She needs to come in with a bit more positives, but it's really exciting. Yeah, I think Judith Collins is is missing the opportunity and and, um, the Prime Minister's killing it. During the second half, we took our seats at the back of the auditorium. We didn't get quite as good a view of the podiums. Podia nor the debater's shoes, but watching it as intended, facing the stage and able to see all the screens, it was much easier to see how the debaters interacted. And also how the debaters interacted with the audience. Now, this wasn't exactly a young crowd, and from where we sat at the back, it was a sea of white hair and bald heads, but it was definitely an energetic one. Lots of clapping, lots of cheering, a little booing, plus a solid number of heckles. I think it's fair to say the audience seemed to be giving Ardern more cheers than Collins, but there was a good mix. Down at the front left, there was a solid cluster of Labour folk, and down on the right was Jerry Brownlee and a number of other Nats. And I guess there's precedent there in the sports world, eh? All the West Ham fans down at that end of the pitch behind a high fence, all the Millwall fans down at the other, under armed guard. Yeah, there were no Mexican waves and no songs about the genealogy of the ref, but seriously... There was more atmosphere and energy in that theatre than at some big football games I've been to. There was even one moment which I guess could be defined as a flash mob protest. Really? 
I think I missed that. Yeah, it was when the debate turned to the environment and all of a sudden three people down the front jumped up. They were wearing T-shirts that said climate energy and they sort of stood in unison. And then I saw someone tap one of them on the shoulder and they were kind of apologetically sat down. Most polite political protest ever. Huh. Anyway, once the debate was over, we spotted the guy we'd talked to beforehand, who'd been undecided but edging towards blue. Well, you were sort of undecided before the event. What uh, do you think now? Yeah, I think um, it's probably cemented my views yeah. for blue. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I think there was um, Jacinda just seemed too flowery about a lot of issues okay. and didn't address some of the questions that I think were answered. And I feel that um, Judith did. Also, as the theatre emptied, we went to get a quick word from the evening star heckler, Jerry Brownlee. I wanted to check that I had misheard that it really was him who'd yelled out too much about the price of the press. He admitted it was him, but insisted... No, I just made a, I made a personal observation. I think it's called heckling. I wouldn't call it a heckle. Dear Lord, if it's a heckle, it would have gone on a lot longer. <laughs> More generally, though... We want to know... How did you enjoy the show? Uh, well, I think it's unfortunate you use that term show because um, it is, it is uh, substantially theatre. But the issues are pretty big, you know, and I don't think we really uh, actually got to some of those, those deep issues that we have to face in the next few years. Particularly, uh, you know, there's never been a time in New Zealand's history where we've gone from... And then Brownlee rattled through all the important issues actually facing New Zealand and sort of complained that in the format of a fast-paced debate, it was hard to really talk about those things. It's very difficult in a format where you're trying to hold people's attention in a world where, you know, if you can't say it in seven seconds, and I just haven't, um, then you're not going to be there anymore. That was really interesting because, yeah, that's the whole criticism that people have about political debates, isn't it? There's this idea that we all, and by that I mean the media and politicians and the public, keep treating debates as a show, as a spectacle, as sport. So, you know, there's too much shouting and over-talking. No one gets a chance to explain themselves properly because there's a moderator rushing things along. We're treating politics like a game when it should really be a forum for a contest of ideas. But... I think people who complain that these debates turn politics into a sport have got things upside down. Because I think saying that overlooks what a wonderful and rich thing sport can be. Eh? Yeah, because any serious sports fan knows that you don't just turn up to a game to find out the score or to watch the dust-ups or to yell at the ref. You're also there to learn something about human nature and to see what individuals can achieve under pressure. You're there because you want to be around other people who care about a team as much as you do. You're there to get excited about something that matters to you and maybe shout out loud because of that. You're there to watch people do impressive things and inspire you and maybe even win a contest by the end of the match. And if those are the reasons you go along to political debate or tune in from home, well, I think that's perfectly fine. Good Lord, Eugene, are you trying to get me along to the next Blues Crusaders match or something? That was quite the inspiring outro. Well, the Blues aren't actually playing at the moment, but sure. And I guess that was the outro, wasn't it? Because I can hear the Tick Tick theme music swelling beneath us as we speak. All right, so it is. That was the Tick Tick podcast, Mō Whiringa Aonuku Waru. I'm Adam Dudding, he's Eugene Bingham. Thank you to Jack Price, Catherine George, Janine Finnick, Carol Hirschfeld, and to everyone else involved with the press leaders debate. You can find us on all the podcast platforms you want. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can email tick at stuff.co.nz. If you want to support stuff journalism financially, go to the link on the stuff website, stuff.co.nz. Kakite kwe e te rahurue. Mate wa.